Today, I'm starting uh, on a subject of launching into the future. Now, how in the world do we do that? You know, when I look back and see what God has done in the world and some absolutely amazing people, I wonder how in the world, world did they accomplish such significance? Were they favored above anyone else? Did they have a privilege that others really didn't have? Don't you feel that, that sometimes today our future kind of is taken away from us? This I do know that I know that our present has been uprooted. Life just, just isn't the same. But I believe that the very first century church had to feel that same way. Everything changed. And, and here's how I feel at times. Sometimes I feel like during all this time of isolation, don't you feel that it's just you're all alone in this? No one else is there for you or with you. But let me ask you this question. How many of you can think of someone who at some point in your life believed in you when you weren't even believing in yourself? Maybe someone a little older, a little wiser, more experienced, who looked at your situation and seen how you were handling it and just leaned into you and they said, you could do this. I know you could do this. I'm going to introduce to you to a man in the New Testament, a man who was living in those challenging times of that first century church. We meet him in Acts, the fourth chapter. And it's very early in, in the church, um, uh, first church uh, uh, relaunch that, that they had. And it was not long ago that the power of the Holy Spirit descended on the 120 in the upper room. And now Peter is leading the church. Now, yes, Peter is leading the church, the second chance disciple. And Acts, the second chapter, verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I want you to know that this is really a case study of the first century church. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Or who among us, are we not ready for some awe and some miraculous signs of God? And then verse 44 tells us, And all the believers were together and had everything in common. You know, when they came together, it's not just that they gathered together, it's that they, they came together in unity, having everything as one. And verse 45 says, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. They looked out for each other. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad, sincere hearts. They just liked being together. They broke bread together. I get, I get uh, 
emails and text messages after this service that, that there's people have, have their laptop on the table and in front of their laptop, they have their breakfast and they're eating their breakfast while they're watching this broadcast. And it looks pretty good, I got to tell you that. Breaking bread together. Maybe next week, invite someone over for breakfast and have a group watch. Then verse 47, it says, and praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Let me repeat that. Enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. Enjoyed the favor of each other. I really want you to maybe underline that. Focus on that. Because I'm going to talk about that with you this morning. Now, then... One, one was added to that number in verse 36. Here's where we are introduced to Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at, um, at the apostles' feet. Here we get a first glimpse of this man, Barnabas. We see that he was a man that was generous because he was generous by his actions. He sold the property and brought it to the apostles. We really don't know if this man was a man of great wealth or it was a great sacrifice in what he did. But what we did know that it was a significant gift and he brought it to the house of God. Wow. You know, I want to actually put this into perspective. I mentioned this Wednesday night, but it really bears repeating this morning. We have a man in the church, a family in the church, that he called me this week, and he asked that if he could um, get some food from our food pantry, and I says, absolutely. So I got the food together, seen what he needed, and then took it over to him. Well, in return, he gave me his tithe envelope. And, and what was amazing to me is that that tithe was easy, 10 times more or so than what the cost of that food that I gave him. It didn't even pass his mind that, that he could have used that tithe money for getting food for his family and thinking that, got to understand that. His mind was on feeding the body of Christ the word of God. He had the Barnabas spirit of generosity. He literally took um, Malachi 3.10 as truth. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and, and, and thereby put me, put me to test, saying that the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour out, pour down for you the blessings until there is no more need. I love this family. He sees beyond his present need. And he was investing in the future of the church. And you see, only if you are a believer, a follower of Christ, one who believes in that tithing, that it is of the Lord. Could we really understand 
the faithfulness and the commitment of this man and this family. We also see something about Barnabas, his character, his name. His name tells us that he is a son of encouragement. Here's what I do know. Having a Barnabas spirit, <laughs> it can be risky. The next time we see Barnabas is in Acts, the, the ninth chapter. It's quite a while later. The gospel has gone to Samaria very successfully, and now it's on its way to Ethiopia because of the baptized Ethiopian eunuch. But yet, there was persecution that has scattered throughout Jerusalem. But here's the blessing in that persecution. Kind of sounds strange to even say that. But the blessing is this, is that because they were scattered, the word of God was being taken elsewhere. It was kind of a forced evangelism. <laughs> Chapter 9 begins with this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out the murderous threats against the, the Lord's disciples. Then he continues to tell the story of Saul's conversion. He meets Jesus on a road to Damascus. He is blinded, knocked off his horse. He meets Ananias and has his sight restored. He is baptized. And here's what verse 20 says. And at once, at once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, if you were a believer in Jesus in Damascus, you would have either been running for your life, or you would, maybe if you were an unbeliever, you have been touched by one of those running who believed in Christ. And yet this persecution would still be following you. This murderous threats, they were not some idle threats. You would have seen it carried out in the life of Stephen when he was stoned. You would have the right to be skeptical, you may even have the right to be somewhat cautious. But most of us in that situation, well, we would expect this, that maybe thinking, so might be pulling one on us. Things got, got kind of dangerous in Damascus. So Saul leaves and he returns to Jerusalem and tries to join the disciples. Here, they didn't even have the benefit of hearing his preaching in Damascus. Watching on the edge and seeing if what he's preaching is correct or true. They come to that very conclusion, verse 26, it says, they, didn't, they don't believe he was really a disciple. Now, here, here is where Barnabas, he launches out into the future by taking action. Verse 27 says this, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that how the Lord spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name, not of Saul, in the name of Jesus. 
Now, here's what I see how Barnabas was a risk taker. Barnabas, he put, you know, absolutely everything, everything on the line here. His very life, because if Saul was pulling one on them, he may have been the first to be murdered. His reputation in the church was online because if Saul turned his back on him, no one would ever trust Barnabas again. His relationships was really being challenged by the disciples because his action was really opposite of what they felt like. But this story doesn't really tell us of all the details of what happened. But it is Barnabas who tells the disciples Saul's story. He studied Saul. He watched him, observed him. And, no, and well, he investigated him. And by hearing him, he undoubtedly heard also the Holy Spirit speaking into his life to affirm that this is truth and what Saul was proclaiming. But think about this. What might have happened to Saul without Barnabas' interaction? Taking this risk, his introduction of Saul to the disciples. He, what might have happened to the, the history of the church? The movement of the gospel to you and I, the Gentiles. What might have happened to the scripture when Paul himself had written over half of the New Testament? And one more important note of this history, Saul stayed with the disciples in Jerusalem for a short while, but then things got really dangerous. And Saul leaves and goes back to the town of Tarsus. Now, it was quite a distance away from Jerusalem, and he was there Studies tells us is that six to seven years. Now, I want to point something out about timelines in the Bible. Dates are notoriously difficult to pinpoint perfectly accurate, especially when it happened 2,000 years ago. And secondly, and more importantly, when we read the story of Barnabas and of Saul, it is easy to think that everything happened very quickly. One moment after the other, that Saul meets the disciples in Jerusalem, flees to Tarsus, and then he jumps quickly back into his ministry in Acts 11. But in fact, there is a long gap of time. You see, in this case, six or seven years, living in relative obscurity. You see, God has his time schedule. There's things in which he is doing in people's lives where we have to trust him when he asks us, and when he asks us to do something, it may not happen immediately. However, we meet Barnabas again in Acts the 11th chapter, beginning in verse 19. Now those who have been scattered by their persecution in connection with Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message, of, well, taking the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, I like this, some of them, 
However, men of Cyprus and, um, and Crying went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. Ah, they were going outside the box. And then the Lord's hand was with them. Sometimes when we get outside of the box, we feel like, well, it's kind of uncomfortable. But the Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. They, they, they heard, knew about this relationship that Barnabas had with Saul, and, and he was this outside-of-the-box thinker. So this gospel that was going to the Greeks is that they sent Barnabas there to Antioch and says, check this out. And when he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and, well, and encouraged. And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. Well, the son of encouragement. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great number of the people were brought to the Lord. Now, pay attention to this. Sometimes we skip over this. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Now, get ready for this, church. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Several things I want you to notice about this story. First of all, Barnabas had remained faithful and growing in his Christian life throughout these challenging years of this first century church. He is obviously in a position of leadership. And they trust him because they commissioned him to go to Antioch to check on this phenomena, this outside of the box, this change in this new century church that now it was being opened up to non-Jews. I'm sure that they wanted to make sure that the ministry was balanced, that the needs were being met and taking care of the people, that the word of God that was being taught was accurate. They certainly dealt with some people who were kind of uncomfortable with what was happening. You know, sometimes when things change, we get uncomfortable when things begin to change. It may be different when, well, it will be different when we relaunch Chandler First Assembly. But trust in what God is doing. Then they also, well, Barnabas was open to new things, so they enrooted in his faith, so they trusted in what he was doing. Second thing, I want to point out that Luke's description of Barnabas is, and, and Luke is pretty much as just stick to the facts, just the facts itself type of guy. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. 
What an incredible testimony. Don't you, don't you think that, that maybe that's something that we could try to line our life up to? A good man, a good woman, a good teenager, a good child, full of the Holy Spirit and faith and fruitful in the work of God's kingdom. Now, then the final part of this is that here's where I really want you to focus on. He goes to Tarsus and he seeks out Saul because he believed that Saul had something to give to the people at Antioch. So he goes and he searches for him and he brings him back to Antioch because there Paul understood the people. He was this educated man. He understood the culture. He could relate to him. And Barnabas knew that he had something to give. Now, what's the point of launching into the future of this message? What does this story really teach us? Verse 25 says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. I believe that we will experience the wonder, the awe, the power of that first century church in the 21st century when we focus, when we focus on someone else and not ourselves. And that is done when we as an individual, as people of God who are full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. This past week, I had a funeral for a gentleman in a church, Dietrich um, Grady. Everyone knew Dietrich as well as D. In the midst of this COVID-19, the stress of the economy, the pain of our communities and the racial unrest, D's family, who is African-American, lost their brother, which they loved dearly. And here's what they did. They didn't focus just on their grief. All types of food came in for their lunch and they had far more than anything that they needed. They didn't take that food and divide it up among the family so they could take it to their homes afterwards and have something for the next day or the day after. What they did is they wrapped it up and they took it to the homeless. They were launching into the future. They cared about someone else more than themselves, even in the midst of their grieving. When Jesus was on the cross, he really wasn't thinking about his own horrible situation. He was launching into the future, into your life and my life. His grace, his mercy, his love, for each and every one of us. You know what I want to ask you? Who needs you? Who could you invest in other than yourself as this amazing man, Barnabas, invested in Saul, who became Paul? Let's look at this season as we're about to partake in communion and to See, Lord, who do you want us to invest in? You see, in Corinthians, the 11th chapter, 1 Corinthians 11th chapter, 23rd verse, it speaks to us about the bread and the juice. 
In that bread and that juice, he tells us that remember this for what he has done, what he has done for each and every one of us. So would you take that bread? Would you take a piece of that bread? And would you take that and just pray over it? Because the Word of God says to examine ourselves first. So we ask you, Heavenly Father, speak into our lives. Forgive us of our sins. Relaunch, renew our faith. And help us to be that Barnabas who would not, was not thinking about himself, but of others. And he invested in the life of a man named Saul. May we invest in someone else's life in this season in which we live in. Lord, bless this bread that is a symbol of your body that has been broken for us. Minister to the brokenness in our community, in our bodies, our minds, our spirits. And Lord, bring healing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take the juice, the symbol of his blood that has been shed for us. We could invest in people's lives. Why? Well, because of what he's done for us. He invested in us through his shed blood. So, Heavenly Father, as we partake of this juice, let this be a symbol, Lord, of that act of love of which you have given to us that we could give to others in this season of unrest, of fear, of disease, in this season in which people need to know that we believe in them and that someone is there for them. In Jesus' name we pray.